This is Blockbuster Film School. This is Blockbuster Film School. Enthusiastic intro time. It is the Blockbuster Film School. You love it. You need it. We're here. We're here to teach you things about film and life. We are your life coaches. I am your life guru, Alex Bonner, joined by master overlord leader of guru movie life, Nicholas Souter. Hey. Hi. Welcome to the party. We love you guys. We know we are in dark, weird times. Who knows how things are going? Hopefully it's going great with you. I hope you're healthy. I hope you're happy. I hope you're not getting weird with it. Or if this is already over, Mm. uh, way to survive. Yeah. Way to go. Congratulations. Good for you. Yeah. yeah, Thank you. This is many years in the future, and you're just hearing this. I apologize for our civilization. (laughs) Also, if I'm dead by the time this airs, I want you to find the first person you can find who's named Rona and just beat the shit out of them. My Sharona. The knack was on to something. They were. Nicholas, this week we are talking about Hollywood living legend and one of my favorite actors in the entire world, Miss Winona Ryder. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of hers. I think you're a big fan. Super producer Brian Tapps is here in-house. He is a vampire, so he is a big fan mm-hmm. of Winona Ryder, as is the bylaws of vampirism. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, she was a vampire in Little Mermaids. That's true. Or and just mermaids. Dracula. And I'm not familiar with that work. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> also, kind of a Beetlejuice. We'll talk about it. Nick, what was the first Winona Ryder movie you remember seeing? Beetlejuice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I immediately fell in love with her, like America did. Yeah. Like the world. I fell in love with her and Michael Keaton at the same time. Yes. It took a weird decade to <laughs> realize that. <laughs> but I'm okay with everything now. I liked uh, Catherine O'Hara, too. Everyone is great in that, except for Jeffrey Jones. He's Who a is also great in it, but he is a piece of yes, shit. Yes, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> he is magnificent in yeah. it. But... Also, I had cable in the 80s, Yeah, so it was just on HBO every fucking day. Yes. You have to remember in Beetlejuice, the most subdued acting performance is from Alec Baldwin. I know. So <laughs> that's some next level shit when everyone is out acting you and you're Alec Baldwin. So uh, we're going to go into Miss Winona Ryder. Definitely the first time I ever saw her was Beetlejuice. But she, there's something about her where you just immediately can't really ever forget about Winona Ryder. Um, she was born Winona Laura Horowitz, October 29th, 1971. Scorpio, and known professionally as Winona Ryder because of Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels, which she was a big fan of as a kid and her dad was a big fan of. Also, we'll get into her family, who was really cool and connected into a lot of kind of celebrities in art and subculture of America. So she was named Winona in Winona, Minnesota, which is why she is named that. Have you ever been to Winona, Minnesota, Nick? Yeah. Oh, have you? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was real cool. Yeah, there are trees there, and the Vikings. <laughs> mm. <laughs> the twins, all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, I don't Prince. Know. <laughs> sure. I'm not entirely sure, but yeah, rock and roll. She's the daughter of Cynthia Palmer and Michael Horowitz. Her mother is an author, a video producer, and editor, and her father is an author, editor, publisher, and bookseller, but kind of his biggest... And spookiest thing was that he was an archivist for Dr. Timothy Leary. And if you don't know who Dr. Timothy Leary is, you should Wikipedia the shit out of that because Dr. Timothy Leary was kind of the head 
of the American psychedelic movement. He was an actual doctor who got really into psychedelics, him and um, Jim Lilly and uh, Philip K. Dick. A lot of the, maybe Thomas Pynchon, I don't know. Is Philip K. Dick Thomas Pynchon? I don't know. I don't know. But yes, so actually her middle name is Laura because of Laura Huxley, who was Aldous Huxley's wife, who wrote Brave New World, which if you haven't read, is a really amazing book about maybe kind of the world that we live in currently. It's a dystopian. We don't live in a dystopia at all. It's totally normal. I love fresh air. But it's interesting that her family friends were like Timothy Leary and a lot of beat poets, Allen Ginsberg, Lawrence Ferlinghetti, kind of those are sort of the marquee, that's about as high as you get, of the beat movement and science fiction novelist Phil K. Dick. They moved to Rainbow when she was seven years old, a commune near Elk, Mendocino County, California. So kind of this weird thing. She literally grew up on a cult a little bit. Not exactly a cult. So it's not quite it's like... It's not Joaquin Phoenix. It's not Joaquin. It's not a dark thing. It was... They went to a commune. This was the thing that happened. This used to happen more often. She had like the cool version of Joaquin's childhood yeah. where there were cool artists, some of who were famous. Her parents probably were on drugs. I'm pretty sure they were just making acid there and selling yeah, exactly. it. That's, that's yeah. what it was. It's called Rainbow. Yeah. They're like, what are we going to call this? What if we called it Dudesburg? No! <laughs> Absolutely not. This will be called... Let's call it Psychic Death Camp. How about something friendlier? What if we called it Black Milk Unicorn? All right, you're getting closer, but <laughs> not quite there. So at age 10, though, her family moved to regular universe to Petaluma, California. And she went to a place called Kenilworth Junior High, where she was bullied by children who thought that she was an effeminate boy. <laughs> also, it's like, I get it. You grew up with like a weird commune family and your parents were weird artists and then you had to go to school. And why I'm bringing this up, the element of alienation and being so actively good at being kind of smarter, but also still a kid and also still naive, but also not like the others will literally come up in all of her work, all of her work. Up until Mr. Deeds. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's interesting how when we talk about famous actors, there's these weird through lines that kind of almost came from when they were kids, you know? Arnold Schwarzenegger's dad and brother thought he was a girly man, so he was going to prove them wrong for the rest of his goddamn life. You and know? they're dead, so and he they're did. Dead. Oh, joke's on you, mein heart. And so, according to her, she, while she was being bullied, she said that her early excess in Beetlejuice, writer commented that, I remember thinking, ooh, it's Beetlejuice, like the number one movie... This is going to make things great at school, but it made things worse. They called me a witch. I was like, you just can't catch a break on this. I think this is when we should talk about Beetlejuice. Nick, do you like Beetlejuice? I love Beetlejuice. Has one of the best Italian jokes ever in it. <laughs> but I'm going to say that the last, like, 20 minutes has so many plot holes and is just not finished as a movie. Right. Yeah. But, okay, I understand what you're saying, but I sort of love the chaos of it. I love the mania of it. I love how insane it is. I think Beetlejuice is such a crazy beginning of something very different in American Hollywood that people didn't even register. I remember Martin Landau being interviewed for Ed Wood and him talking about how he saw Beetlejuice just in the theater and just – this is one of America's greatest actors and he just like was like, what the fuck is happening? No one has ever done this. And I know Tim Burton takes a lot from, like, German expressionist silent films and things like that. But 
to then take it and smash it together with like fun Hollywood and make a fun Hollywood version of German expressionism. I mean, whether it has flaws or not, Pee Wee's uh, Playhouse. Yes, after death. <laughs> And also just, like, how it got made. I have no idea. I still, to this day, have no idea how it got made, you know? Oh, the original draft of the script, like, several drafts of the script was very anti-Semitic and racist. What? Yeah. And also, Winona Ryder's character had a younger sister that Beetlejuice kills. Interesting. And the original... It was more of a horror movie. It was a horror movie. Mm. Sammy Davis Jr. was supposed to play the Beetlejuice, and he was, like, a used car salesman from, like, the Middle East. Okay. Yeah. So wait, so Burton didn't really have any... Burton wasn't originally attached. Right. So he sort of was... He was like, yeah, I'll direct whatever you want me to direct. Yeah. And then did a David Fincher and basically just made his own movie out of it. Yeah, pretty much. Which is great. There is some weird used car sales stuff still in it, but they don't really mention it, right? There's like the weird... Anyway, that's a whole different side Beetlejuice thing. But it is then initially the first time where we see Winona Ryder as this alienated character. And... (laughs) <laughs> what does the handbook say? That um, Handbook for the recently deceased? Yes, that um, most people cannot see the dead except yeah. for the strange and unusual, and I myself happen to be strange unusual. and unusual. <laughs> like That she can see the ghosts, and she's super goth. She may have created glam goth herself. I don't know. Her mm. and <laughs> She might have created like the hot topic <laughs> glam exactly goth. That's what I'm but not real yeah. glam goth. Right. Yes. But I'm just that she's the first cinema goth icon I can think of. I mean like Elvira? Sure. Okay, that's fair. But I mean in terms of like mainstream cinema that was like a summer box office, you know, like blew up was awesome and people were like, oh yeah, I want to start dressing like this character and forever Lydia Dietz is now a character that you can say and movie nerds will instantly know what you're talking about. And that's her first fucking movie is Beetlejuice, which is true. That's third. I understand. So we'll go into that. Okay, you're right. So her first movie is... Lucas, yes, am I right on that? Yeah. If you want, to, if you want to take control of some of this, no, I'm, I'm off. I'm off the rails. Great. I'm off the rails. I'm off the rails. I'm sorry. It's okay. This is where I'm starting to get confused. I understand with the timeline. Okay, so, but she auditioned to be uh, in Desert Bloom, that ended up going to Annabeth Gish, another sort of '80s movie star. But David Seltzer, who directed Desert Bloom, noticed her, and she was very close to getting the part. And then after that, he cast her in Lucas. Have you ever seen Lucas? I saw it once or twice. I remember not much. I remember mostly just the horror story that fucking <laughs> Haim put out yeah. when we got older. <laughs> yes, about how nightmare. But also R.I.P. Corey Haim. I watched Lucas as a kid. I remember Corey Haim being... There's an underrated element of Corey Haim, honestly. There was something very charming about him. For people who didn't grow up in the 80s or 90s, Corey Haim was once a very, very big deal. Yes. And movies like this were part of the reason. Lucas was this weird movie about a weird kid who, it's basically just about a weird kid <laughs> who gets picked on. But he becomes Joins football. Exactly. And becomes cool because he's Corey Haim. And Winona Ryder is in it. And she adds production value. That's all I remember. That's what I remember about Lucas. She made a movie called Square Dance. Did you see Square Dance? Absolutely not. (laughs) Where her teenage character creates a bridge between two different worlds, a traditional farm in the middle of nowhere, and a large city, I assume, based on square dancing. I will never see that movie. No. (laughs) 
So, but then movie number three, as we were saying, is Beetlejuice. So pretty good when your third movie that you're ever in is one of the sort of classic mega box office hits of all time and starts you up with also to this day, whether you like his recent stuff or not, still one of the big directors in the world, Mr. Tim Burton. So it ends up making her into now kind of a movie star a little bit. But the next one, Ryder lands the role of Veronica Sawyer in Heathers in 1988. And I think this is where it gets into stuff where I love Beetlejuice, but I fucking love Heathers. Like, I adore Heathers. I don't know. What do you think about Heathers, Nick? I really like Heathers. I think performances are great. Story goes a little haywire towards the end, but, I mean, it's a— Nobody would shoot up their high school or blow it up. I just meant, like, all the suicides, the faking the suicides. Yeah. It's such a weird yeah. story. I love like, my dead gay son. <laughs> I love my dead gay son. I mean, they literally are broaching stuff in 1988 that nobody was talking about. Yeah. And it kind of has that vibe where I remember watching it, and I remember renting it from the library in the 90s on VHS and watching it and being blown away by it. But watching it with my mom and my mom liking it, but her being like, is this what is this? Like, is this happening? I was like, I don't think kids are, I don't think kids are ever going to wear trench coats and shoot up their high school or anything. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but there is a weird bit though of like, there's a straight up part where Christian Slater doing his best child version of Jack Nicholson straight up is wearing a duster and pulls a gun on some people in the lunchroom and it's regarded as cool. Yeah. <laughs> So not a movie that would get made anymore. No, no. A lot of this stuff in that movie would never get made anymore. It's from a, if you want to see a time capsule to another era of American life and cinema, Heather's is there, but it's also the soundtrack is really dope. I kind of enjoy the voiceover, which is rare for me. The writing has to be really good and her performance in it. It was a financial flop at the box office, but kind of instantly started to become a cult hit. Roger Ebert was a big fan of it and said that her performance was like something along the lines of one of the most nuanced performances he'd ever seen from a young actress. I agree with him. I mean, there's something about Winona Ryder where she seems like she's a million years old, but she also seems like she's young. Does that make sense? You know, like Mm -hmm. she seems like she's, it's like this weird duality of both of her characters where she seems like the smartest person in the room, but also like she's kind of emotionally vulnerable and fragile. You know, it's this weird, like, it's, it's really interesting to watch. I mean, maybe we want to play croquet, I don't know, for a moment. <laughs> no? No. Do you have any other Heather's thoughts? I don't... I like Heather's. I don't think it's the best thing she's ever done. No. That's and, fair. And, you know, Christian Slater and Leonardo DiCaprio's entire careers, they both have just been doing Jack Nicholson impressions. Oh. Let's not bash on Leo like that. Come on. He does it really good. I understand what you're saying, and I can get the comparison, but, I mean, Leo is sort of a... Leo's We're not of, here to talk about Leo. Leo's sort of a master class actor, and <laughs> Christian Slater does a Jack Nicholson impression. <laughs> okay, moving on. Um, the next movie she plays, she stars in Great Balls of Fire, exclamation point, Yeesh. playing the 13-year-old bride and cousin of Jerry Lee Lewis, a real story, yeah. which also, just a little shout-out to Mike Judge's Tales from the Tour Bus about Jerry Lee Lewis, and his child bride. That's After that movie, shit gets wild. That is, oh my God. Who plays Jerry Lewis? What's his name? Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid, yes, yes. Have you seen Great Balls of Fire? Goodness gracious. Sorry. Saw about 30 minutes of it. Really? Yeah. I watched the whole damn thing, because it is such a, 
I will say this. I don't hate that movie. It is a fun train wreck of a movie. It is, you know how I have a weird take on music biops, particularly. They certainly sheened over the fact that everything that Jerry Lewis was doing was terrible, but it's kind of interesting in that way. Like, it definitely had a big influence on Dewey Cox. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, walk hard. Like, it absolutely, as much as walk the line in certain things, but it didn't catch on exactly with the music biop stuff. I mean, they had made La Bamba and stuff around the same time, and that was a bigger hit and was, you know, won all these awards and things and was just a flat-out better movie. But Hollywood likes to make music biop movies, and Great Balls of Fire is one where it didn't work, and it's insane. <laughs> it's just a creepy story. It's dude. a creepy story. It's, that's why I never finished it. It's like, wh- why are we making about this guy? He had, like, I know Jerry Lewis has, like, a lot of stuff, but he also really had, like, one big hit. Like, I mean, it's like if you made a movie about Limp Biscuit or something. I would rather watch that, actually, to tell you the truth. <laughs> actually, it would be pretty I funny. I really don't want to admit that, but I have to. <laughs> Now that I think about it, Leonardo DiCaprio is Fred Durst. I'd watch this. I'd watch this movie. And you just gave me shit for bashing on Leo. Yes. He could pull it off. (laughs) He's got too much hair to play Fred Durst. (laughs) I don't know. And does he like to pull a backwards hat over his eyebrows? I don't know. We'll have to find out. Okay. So, 1988, writer appeared in the film 1969. Nice. Where she played the character Beth, the girlfriend of Keith Sutherland and sister of Robert Downey Jr., Protagonists, protesters, and flower children against the Vietnam War. Have you ever seen 1969? I have not. I've not. I actually kind of maybe would like to, but I didn't even know that movie existed. Neither did I. Yeah. For a second, I thought you were just like they made a film version of that Stooges song. <laughs> That'd no. be a lot cooler. Yeah, exactly. And um, like in Mojo Nixon made a uh, music video for the movie and put a song in, but apparently it didn't work. No one cared. 1990, though, Ryder was selected for four film roles. The big one being she played the leading female role alongside her then-boyfriend, Mr. Johnny Depp, in the fantasy film Edward Scissorhands, teaming back up with Tim Burton to once again make a big-time financial hit. I know it made $100 million in 1989, which is like making $500 million right now. Maybe not that much. Like three Hondo. It's still a big hit for not that big a budget. What do you think about Edward Scissorhands? What was the question? How do you I'm feel? I'm all flummoxed. Did a shot of Ciroc before Ooh. I came in here. Um, Hold on. Summer man. watermelon Ciroc. <laughs> Fancy. Uh, I, I did you a favor. Um, <laughs> there is a pasty man who has scissors for hands, and Vincent Price is a dad. Oh, and yes. And he gets to have Winona Ryder as his girlfriend, <laughs> which is the weirdest. Johnny Sheerhands. Yes, the weirdest, coolest goth sex fantasy I've ever heard of. Um Top three Tim Burton films. Yes. Yes. Easily. I, I agree with that. I even think it's... It's the saddest one he's ever made. Uh, true. True. But it's also like maybe like with like like the subtlest one he's ever made. It has... Oh, this guy's got scissors for hands, man. I know, which is crazy. But it, I think that one leans more back to German expressionist silent film than any of his stuff. Like it could yeah. have been a silent film. And you'd still kind of understand what's going on. Yeah. He's taking a lot from the cabinet of Dr. Caligieri that... You know, there's this weird monster character who's not a monster. He's just misunderstood. Winona Ryder has kind of this weird silent film actress sort of look to her. She has these big, really cool eyes that express a lot. And I think about Edward Scissorhands sometimes, you know, just scenes in it, just weird scenes that are very touching and cool in it. And um, 
you could show it to a kid. I think it might even be rated like PG or something like that. Like it's weird, but it's way too powerful to maybe show to a kid. It's strange in that way. Who was the baddie in that movie? Was it Andy Michael Hall? Yes. Yes. I love that element too, where there's this weird dichotomy and connection with Tim Burton, (laughs) how Tim Burton likes to do this thing where he has German expressionism, but then he also has like this weird 1950s version of California, which is also like suburbia. Diane Weiss is so good in this movie. Yes. That idea of these Tim Burton bad guys being the status quo, you know, that's something that kind of comes in. And then Winona Ryder being this, Anti-hero, but not an anti-hero, being a um, a hero from the underground, kind of. And that her her roles are often her as someone from the counterculture who's not like the others. And once again, her and Tim Burton just crush it. I mean, you could make an argument about what's the better Tim Burton movie. I mean, what's, like you said, top three. I agree. I agree. It's right there. And it kind of solidified her, this time particularly, as a movie star. Once again, Roger Ebert loved her. Roger Ebert said, Winona Ryder in another of her, of her alienated outsider roles generates real charisma, a charisma that most people have never been able to generate on screen. And you can't take your eyes off of Winona Ryder. She then, she was supposed to be, <laughs> she was going to be Mary Corleone in Francis Ford Coppola's Godfather 3. Talk about dodging on bullets. Yes. Where she had anxiety, a.k.a. read the script, and was like, uh, I can't do it. <laughs> um, uh, unfortunately, Sophia, <laughs> nobody else will do this movie. You got to do it, Sophia. <laughs> I'll name a wine after you. <laughs> Fine, Dad. But in 1990, she makes Mermaids with Cher, Bob Hoskins, and Christina Ricci, a movie I like a lot. Do you like Mermaids? I love Mermaids. Yes. I've seen Mermaids probably more than... Edward Scissorhands. Because mm. my mom and my sister love that movie, so we would just watch it all the time. It's a great movie. Everybody in that is so good. It is a real shame that Super Mario Brothers basically killed Bob Hoskins like 20 years before he died, 30 years before he died, because at one point Bob Hoskins was one of our greatest actors. I mean, he was still in stuff. After he was Mario still in Brothers. stuff, but he literally, we talked about this about how <laughs> Super Mario Brothers, he credits with literally giving him terrible terrible alcoholism yeah <laughs> because he had to make that movie <laughs> i think same thing mermaids is such a spoiler alert i think it might be on my wall it's i love it it's sad it's yeah. just sad in it for sure but it's such a different movie. it's also like in that era of late 80s early 90s movies where you could make a movie like that there yeah. was a movie that got released a wide release in theaters that's just a kind of cool touching dramedy that has all these big actors in it it's does that really come out in wide release anymore i don't maybe is oscar bait a little bit but i don't know i really dig mermaids any other takes on 80s slash 1990 winona rider before we move into 1990s winona rider no okay so, in 1991, Ryder plays a taxi cab driver in Jim Jarmusch's Night on Earth. You've seen Night on oh, Earth? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's great in that. She's great. She's a little, it's got a little role. Started to mix it up. Started to be a little yeah. spicier. I liked it. I like the spicier Winona Ryder. Then she, in 1992, actually works with Francis Ford Coppola in Bram Stoker's Dracula. And now I'd like to pass the mic to <laughs> super producer Brian Tex. <laughs> 
Oh, two thumbs down. Come on. There's a whole vampire orgy with Keanu Reeves in it. <laughs> it's kind of fun. I had it on VHS. I enjoyed it for how insane it is. The production value is insane. <laughs> Tom Waits is in it. <laughs> Renfield. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. The Gary Oldman Dracula. Gary, I like Gary Oldman. Yeah. Gary Oldman's never bad. Still, so, Here's the thing, though. Yeah. Tom Waits is in only bad movies. It, unless he works with Jim Jarmusch. Yes. Yes. If he's in a Jim Jarmusch movie, it can be good. Yeah. But otherwise. Yeah, otherwise. He's gotten kind of screwed. He's played God in like three different movies. I like, know. I, he's got how sc- many times can you listen to that song, Martha? I know. And just go, you know what? This guy should be in our movie. Who can he play? God. <laughs> but Down by Law is so good. I know, but he's that, even again, kind of the best part of the Dead Don't Die. I mean, I didn't see that one. Oh, he's but, but again, Jim Jarmish. Jim Jarmish, yeah. In the hands of Francis Ford Coppola, mm-hmm. nobody's that great. Uh, I thought it was kind of fun. I understand what you're saying. It's a train wreck, but it's kind of a fun train wreck. Like of the later Coppola stuff, where he's in full train wreck mode and is literally just constantly thinking, like, why don't I just grow wine? But you can kind of feel that as he's directing the movie, like, do I even want to do this? I should just make fucking wine. Like, you can feel this happening to him. And I love that you just said what he's thinking to himself, why don't I grow wine? I mean, that's what he does. That's what Francis Ford Coppola's job is now. He is not a movie no, director know, but, anymore. You know. He is one of the biggest producers of wine in the world. So, and I guarantee he was like, what the fuck am I doing? What is this? I still sometimes do like to talk like the Gary Oldman Dracula. You think you're so smart. Do you? I don't I don't know what Gary Oldman is doing. Well, he's Dracula. He's like if the Count from Sesame Street was also the cookie monster. It's like this. You sound like Sylvester Stallone doing Borat. <laughs> I also sound like Gary Oldman being Dracula. So he <laughs> take uh, my wife, uh, take, please. please. I mean, honestly, you're telling me that wasn't kind of what that movie was. Okay, there's a part where Dracula has Princess Leia buns. Okay, and I'm supposed to be terrified of this guy. Untrue. He also has '90s like John Lennon sunglasses at one point, and he's wearing a top hat and a wig. There's some. Wiggity mayhem in <laughs> Bram Stoker's Dracula. It is fun to watch. After that, in 1993, she starred in the melodrama The House of Spirits. Writer played the love interest of Antonio Banderas's character. It made six million dollars on forty million. Ooh, I've never heard of this film. I've never. Yeah, a lot of people didn't. I saw it. It's trying to be like a ghost melodrama, but it's dumb. It is dumb. And that's the end of that. But Ryder starred in The Age of Innocence that same year with Michelle Pfeiffer and Daniel Day-Lewis. Ryder calls Martin Scorsese, who directed that movie, the best director in the history of the world. So, rock and roll. Uh, Hilarious. She was in, in my opinion, one of the Scorsese movies I don't actually like to watch. Yeah, I know. In our Scorsese episode, we literally just skipped it. We basically skipped it because it has some of the best actors in the world. It has Daniel Day-Lewis. It has Michelle Pfeiffer. It has fucking Winona Ryder. And it is You got nominated bo- for an Oscar for it. It's boring as fuck. Yeah. It's- <laughs> I'm sorry. 
It's boring as fuck. Yeah, she got an Academy Award nomination. Not a commercial success, but a critical success. Because people like sappy as fuck period pieces. She was in Broken Dreams with River Phoenix, which is actually kind of a dope movie. Have you ever seen that? I've not seen that. That's actually, yes. Broken Dreams was kind of pieced together. It was, they filmed some of it. It kind of had that imaginary of Dr. Haliparnassus sort of, it exists. There's pieces of it. And her and River Phoenix being in it, the scenes that they shot are fucking rad. It is a mega shame on many levels because that movie probably was going to be great. But it didn't really finish all the way. If you can check out what they did piece together, I actually kind of recommend it. It's really kind of cool and weird. Then she kind of changes gears a little bit. 1994, she is in Reality Bites, directed by Ben Stiller, who would never make anything after that. How do you feel about Reality Bites? First of all, he directed Tropic Thunder after that <laughs> and Zoolander. I, I am a hilarious comedian who makes jokes about how Ben Stiller is not, I don't know, the sixth most powerful person in Hollywood. Just saying, <laughs> my internal dialogue is to defend Tropic Thunder to death. Yes, yes. I have not seen Reality Bites in like 20 years. Mm-hmm. When I watched it, I loved it. Mm. I feel like if I go back to it, I'll hate it. Interesting theory. I'm curious. I would like to watch it again because I did watch it in the 90s when it came out and same, loved it. Yeah. Spooky in that way, like a lot of 90s movies back then, that was how the world was. So it seemed very current. I watched it in the mid-2000s and thought, this is kind of fun because this isn't exactly how the world is anymore. I would like to watch it now in the 2020s. And be like, this is not like the world at all. But it's interesting, the idea of selling out, the idea of giving up on yourself, the idea of giving up on your career, the idea of giving up on your your art. Also having douchebag boyfriends who are Ethan Hawke, who are damaged goods because of things like divorces and Gen X kind of elements. It's an interesting element. I, I don't know. It's, I remember the same thing. I think – where I'm just going through Winona Ryder movies and ones that I actually think about, I still think about Reality Bites sometimes. I still think about scenes in it. I liked Janine Garofalo in it. I liked I liked a lot of pieces of it. I did. There's a part where they try to make her show and do a Pizza Hut commercial or something, and she, like, wigs the fuck out, and I related hard to that and still have of the idea of gentrification, not just of real estate but of the mind of art. And somebody made a movie where it was a romantic comedy – but also had an opinion about gentrifying the shit out of art. I kind of dug it. I don't know. And it's weird that Ben Stiller made it because he then would yeah. gentrify the shit. Out There's of also art. a wide release. So <laughs> they don't get to say no, whatever they said. Yes. It was a fleeting glimpse of what they meant <laughs> true. because yes. they were cashing those checks <laughs> to the bank. True, true. Yeah. Okay. Ethan Hawke was in this movie. Yeah. Ethan Hawke was in Reality Bites yes. so that he could be in three more Richard Linklater movies yes. and pay his mortgage. Oh, absolutely. 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 I agree that the Richard Linklater stuff, it's interesting because this is right in the heart of the Gen X stuff, which is where Richard Linklater appears and Reality Bites. Once again, she's appearing as sort of this icon of the Gen X film stars. She is maybe the Gen X film star. I mean, Ethan Hawke as well, I think is kind of, it's very interesting. It's the only movie they ever made together, but I like their chemistry in it. I like, I don't know. What do you, takes on Reality Bites, final takes. I like Reality Bites. I feel like it was a Gen X movie Mm. for parents of people paying those Gen X kids to go through college. (laughs) That's fair. Does the title alone sounds 
Yeah, 90s. Soup's com- 90 and commercial. <laughs> Reality bites. Reality bites. I mean, it is making fun of. Yes, agreed. Yeah. I would say this about it, though. I think it's the first one for her where she kind of saves a movie. I'll put it that way. Like that she is so good and is really starting to come into her own as Winona Ryder, the movie star, that she saves that movie. I don't know if anybody else could have pulled that movie off. She does. I like Janine Garofalo, Mm. and I really like Steve Zahn, Mm. but I don't think they're that good in this. Interesting. They're better in other things. Yes. Playing straight comedy. Mm. Like, Steve Zahn cannot do dramatic. He was always, to me, going to be the guy from that thing you do. That's true. Or out of sight. I love him. Oh, yeah. He's fucking, he's fantastic out of sight. <laughs> Whoa. But yes. Also, where is Steve Zahn? What happened? He's still doing stuff, he's but nobody doing. sees it. Yeah, I know. Kind of a bummer. But uh, yes, I agree. I would like to watch Reality Bites again, I think, is one of those ones where I'm going to table it a little bit. I'm not going to fully say yes or no on Reality Bites. It's probably not going to be on my wall, but I will table it because I do remember really liking her in it. So in 1994, Ryder played the lead role of Josephine March in Little Women. That movie is awesome. I'm sorry. It's, I know there is a new version with Sayorsi. Um, Sersha. Sersha. Hey, Sersha. You're from pretty. You're in the head of Prenancy. Sersha. Right? Sersha Ronan. Sersha Ronan. Ireland is weird. <laughs> um, and I'm allowed to say that because I'm half potato person. So, <laughs> oh, now we're not going to make fun of the Irish? Come on now. Make fun of all the Irish you want. <laughs> Just leave Sersha out of this. Sersha. No, I love her as well. I haven't seen the new one yet, but I really liked the 1994 Little Women. Jillian Armstrong directed it. Robin Swarson sword directed it, it kind of immediately gives some more chops to Winona Ryder, as well as everybody who's in that movie. I mean, Susan Sarandon, I mean, it's... What do you think about that movie? Love that movie. Yeah. It is... I would say up until the most recent one came out, it was the best version of Little Women. Yes. It is a great story. Yeah. Louisa May Alcott's novel, I mean, I remember reading in high school, and it came out in 1868, and a lot of books from the 1800s were... Let's say boring as fuck. And I remember reading that and it was such a cool sort of fun as shit story. <laughs> I know it's not fun, but it is though. It's weird. It's so, it has this great dramedy sort of thing to it already. It's almost like she invented the dramedy right after the Civil War. And it's such an interesting ensemble movie. It's hard for me to really kind of put myself together with like the presence of exactly how I feel about little women. Cause it really, I mean, there's an element of me that can't watch it because I cry when I watch little women and I don't want to cry all the time, but it's still a really good movie. Why so, not? um, because I'm trying to keep my feelings. You push them down, you push them down deep inside and they can't ever get out. That's the correct way to have your feelings. Mm. Yeah. Kirsten Dunst, baby Kirsten Dunst in it. Yep. It's yeah. Joe, I mean, her spirited presence, this is from the New York Times, wrote that the film was the greatest adaptation of the novel and remarked on Ryder's performance. Miss Ryder, whose banner year also includes a fine comic performance in Reality Bites, plays Joe with spark and confidence, 
Her spirited presence gives the film an appealing linchpin, and she plays the self-proclaimed man of the family with just the right staunchness. She received a Best Actress Oscar nomination the following year for that film. And I agree. I think she's the coolest. I don't know. It solidified in my mind when I saw it. I was like, Winona Ryder is the coolest. She's your tough older sister. She is. She's Winona Ryder. She's the fucking best. It's, I don't know, it's wild. I think, you know, personal life stuff, I mean, she's gone through all kinds of crazy weird shit, and it's so interesting for her to be able to pull off all these, using the term everyman, but it's like she's the best actor who's a woman who I think can pull off everyman characters of her generation, maybe, in my mind, where it's not quite the same thing as like Meryl Streep or something who can be all these wild different characters. She's always an element of Winona Ryder, but it's, I don't know, something very powerful and assertive about her presence all the time. So you have to do it. I don't know. Any other Little Women takes on the 94 Little Women? It's a classic. Yes. It's a straight up fucking classic. That's true. She made an appearance on The Simpsons (laughs) as Lisa's rival, Allison Taylor. (laughs) How to Make an American Quilt. Have you seen that movie? No. It co-starred Maya Angelou. The film grossed four times its budget and received mixed to positive reviews from critics. I have never seen it. No. <laughs> I apologize. It had the word quilt in it. So I was like, mm. the word American in it too. <laughs> also, yes. After that, 1996, she was in Boys. With Lucas Haas. Yes, yes. Roger Ebert did not like Boys. <laughs> Boys is a bad movie. I watched yeah. it twice. <laughs> um... Like, the first movie I can think of where it just straight up turns into, like, it's almost meta, where, like, the character in there yeah. stumbles upon a Winona Ryder-type <laughs> act person, yeah. and is like, man, I want to make her my girlfriend, and then there's a wacky adventure, yes. and it's like, oh, no. <laughs> That's boys. Literally, that just what I said. I agree. Roger Ebert called it. A low rent, dumbed down version of Before Sunrise, which is interesting. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> Her next role was in Looking for Richard, Al Pacino's meta documentary on a production of Shakespeare's Richard III, which only grossed a million dollars at the box office, but got some critical acclaim. I love that movie. It's pretty nuts. I fucking love it's that fucking movie. It's fucking nuts. I <laughs> There's three narratives in that. Mm-hmm. They have the actual play. They have them rehearsing the play. Yes. And then there's Al Pacino out in the fucking woods just going, like, that was like, yes. that woods playing just like reading Shakespeare mm-hmm. and going, what did he mean? Ah. Yeah, yeah. Who's going, I'm the devil. You didn't get it from the title. Anyway, um, you know what's crazy is when I saw Birdman, I thought of that movie. Mm, yeah. And I was like, this is kind of someone saw that, realized the potential that was in there. And then made Birdman. But they did it about Batman. <laughs> and I think it's interesting to watch. I would say watch it. If you like Birdman, I would say watch that. So she gets back together after that, though, with another of my favorites. She starred in The Crucible with Daniel Day-Lewis and Joan Allen about the Salem Whip Trials. I really like that movie. <laughs> I really like the Daniel Day-Lewis Winona Ryder Crucible. It's spooky and weird. Are they actual witches? You don't really know. I think they went a little weirder than the Arthur Miller thing where they added some Hollywood sheen to it and some spookiness. And I really, really like her version of The Crucible. Did you see The Crucible? We watched it in grade school. Mm. I don't remember anything fucking about it. I mean, I know the story. 
I remember Daniel Lewis and Winona Ryder being good. Yes. But that's about it. Yes. It was not a very big financial no. success because it's the crucible. Yeah. Nobody. <laughs> yeah, I know. But but like you said, it kind of had this weird element where teachers would then show it. So maybe it made its money back in that way. <laughs> now we're getting into some stuff that I think I think you have some opinions on. In December of 1996, Ryder accepted a role to be in a movie called Alien Resurrection that would come out in 1997 alongside Scorny Weaver. Her brother was a big fan of the movie series, and she wanted to do something different. So she ended up as the android, which I always kind of liked her version of the android. Alien Resurrection is a mess. I don't know. What do you think about Alien Resurrection? I feel like she's doing a Delia Dietz android impression. Snaps for that. Yeah. Uh, Jean Genet, I didn't, you know, like, I like his movies. But not this. Yeah. It it was and an interesting take. I remember being more interested to watch, as much as I love David Fincher. That's not his movie. I know. And I, yeah. I. This is the third best Alien mm-hmm. sequel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a very good point. I think it is. It took on a weird element of, I think they would come back to it about the android not being good or being bad, but being in the middle, having their own opinion. Yeah, And that would come back with Prometheus and David, and I think that's interesting of her take of the android that they are their own person. They are not good or bad. They just make their own choices on what they think they should do, which was interesting. There's also an underwater scene that freaked her out because she's an aquaphobe. So yeah. She like, Several reshoots. Yes. Where they had to get a lot of stunt people because she was like, I'm not even getting in the water. And they're like yeah. – you read the script, right? And there's a lot of water shit in this. Yeah, it's very Jean Genet-y. There's a lot of sort of French actors being American. It's weird. That's the thing, though. Like, mm. this is the first Alien movie I went into where it's like, oh, I love all of these actors. Yes. I am so disappointed in this movie. Mm. And I like him as a director. Yeah. I, and it's the first Alien movie I ever saw in the theater. Like, of when it was released, yeah. you know? And, uh, and yeah, it was, I don't know. I don't you guys know. remember going to the movies? Yeah, you remember going to the movie theater? You remember when that was a thing? I don't know how I feel about Alien Resurrection all the way, I suppose I should say. I just kind of, I liked parts of it. It's I, a it's a I very also, straight up two-star movie. Mm, mm, two and a half stars? Two, I'll give it two and a half, yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. Very, very good point. She bounces back, though, hardcore. In 1999, she performed in and served as an executive producer, putting up some of her money for Girl Interrupted, based on the 1993 autobiography of Susan Kaysen. She loved that book and wanted to make it. And she stars as the main character. Obviously, she gets a little overshadowed by Angelina Jolie, who is the co-star, and Whoopi Goldberg, the second-best Whoopi Goldberg Movie, mm, third, I don't know, mm, Sister Act, Ghost, mm, I don't know, uh, right in there of good Whoopi Goldberg movies. Ghost Sister Act. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, fair, fair, I'm saying. Uh, Girl Interrupted, though, she's good in it. And kind of bounces back hardcore as the leading underground weirdo protagonist as her as, not trying to be not woke, but in a way, in an interesting way, kind of, Lady Jack Nicholson, you know what I'm saying? Like, she's got this weirdness to her, this weird of being the underground protagonist, not necessarily an anti-hero. She's in a mental institution, you know what I'm saying? She's not supposed to be, but it it's interesting. What do you think about Girl Interrupted? 
Not a fan. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I didn't see it until two years ago. Mm. I just never watched it. And then, um, you know, I watched yeah. it with Aaron, and it's just not good. People are... <laughs> Sorry. Wow. wow. Coming it also seems pretty racist. I... Yeah, I mean, it's very melodramatic. I will say that. But... At the time, at the end of the late 90s, being super melodramatic was kind of a thing. And oh, yeah. I saw American Beauty. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, obviously, Angelina Jolie wins the, uh, you know, Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress, which kind of anoints her. Winona Ryder gets nominated, but I just liked her in it. You're right, as a movie, it's probably not a movie I would really want to watch over and over again, but... I thought she's really awesome in it. I thought she's one of her better, more complex performances. But yes, I agree. Girl Interrupted is not like, hey, you guys want to just hang out and watch a movie? How about we watch Girl Interrupted? Let me just. Yeah. yeah. Oh. There are very few movies I would say Winona Ryder is bad in. Yes. This is not one of those movies. No, no. But do you feel like every character in this movie is an asshole? Yeah. That is very true. And. It was kind of cool in a way to see all these female characters get to be these douchebag, normally portrayed by dude characters. And I think that was what was so sort of different to people was you basically got to watch a movie that would normally from Hollywood be a bunch of male actors having all these big, strong, crazy person emotions. And it's all ladies. And it's interesting. I mean, from that perspective, it was kind of interesting. But it would have been an Ethan Hawke vehicle. Yeah, right. Or a Jack Nicholson, you know what I'm saying? Like back in the day, you know, like in the 70s, you know, it's this, it's kind of almost like a 70s movie, you know, where it's very melodramatic and everyone's freaking out and being weird and being dicks all the time. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a whole thing. But she gets back to back though, because she executive produced that, that movie made a lot of money. And got a lot of Academy Award nominations. So automatically, all of a sudden, she's like now like a big player in Hollywood. She then made a movie called Autumn in New York with Richard Gere. Spoiler, she dies. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of got mixed reviews. I fell asleep during it uh, when I watched it, when I rented it on VHS from Blockbuster. So that's my take on Autumn in New York. I watched it three different times. Mm. But never the whole movie. Mm. I was is like, it about autumn in New York? Yeah, it's about autumn from Bucktown Pub in New York. <laughs> just mixing it up. Just mixing it up, playing her guitar. Uh, no, I just, literally the first couple times I put it on, it was on TV. I just put it on. I was like, yeah. oh, this is as bad as I thought it would be. Yeah, and then bad. I came back around the third time. I was like, oh, shit, she's going to die. It was also right around the time where there's the rumor of the hamster in Richard Gere's butt. So the entire time. That was, that was around I know, I know. But I was just like, something about it inside of my head. Sorry, Richard Gere, you can come on the show. Deny this about the gerbil inside of your asshole. Anyways, but she executive produced that one as well and was also a big financial hit. Made like $100 million at the box office. And so there's this thing where she's becoming a big player. So she then turned around and played a nun of a secret society loosely connected to Roman Catholic Church and determined to prevent Armageddon in Lost Souls. You're making that up. No. Jonas Kaminsky, famous cinematographer for Steven Spielberg. His directorial debut with Winona Ryder, Ben Chaplin, Elias Codius, and John Hurt called Lost Souls. Have you ever seen this? No. No, but I now want to. Uh, <laughs> Just listen to the Joy Division song. You'll be fine. 
A huge flop. Yeah. <laughs> or for uh, Brian Tapsier, the Nine Inch Nails cover that was on The Crow. Also, Winona Ryder refused to do promotion for the film. Oh, so it must be really good. Yes. And apparently had a falling out with everyone. When you refuse to do promotion, Jesus that's normally Christ. like, you're like, fuck you. Yeah. And fuck this. I'm out. She did a cameo appearance with her old boy Ben Stiller in Zoolander. Right around then, she gets a Hollywood Walk of Fame star. And that's when her career ends for a decade. <laughs> Guy, uh, so in 2001, we'll bring it up. Winona Ryder the Badass was stealing from very fancy stores in L.A., I don't know, to get a feeling of being alive. I personally am going to go out on, not a limb, I'm going to say straight up Winona, rock and roll, okay? Stealing is not cool, but shoplifting from extremely fancy Rodeo Drive fucking shops is kind of awesome. In a way. Like, fuck them, rich assholes. Like, I don't know. It's kind of funny. I like the idea that she just, they caught yeah. her. She like, her bag was filled with prescription bottles. So she was just like, I'm going to pop these three yeah. pills and then we'll steal shit. Yeah, basically. Yeah. She was like, fuck it. I don't want to a rider. What are they going to do? They're going to rest your ass. Yeah. And unfortunately, right around then, like TMZ is starting. <laughs> and kind of, maybe TMZ was created by Winona Ryder stealing from Rodeo Drive. Shops. It's rodeo. I mean, you fucking rich assholes. Anyways. It's Houston Street. Mm-hmm. That I get, though. That was how that guy pronounced his name. That is just rich douchebags in L.A. calling it Rodeo Drive. I'm not going to say Rodeo Drive. Anyways. But, yeah, she takes basically a hiatus with the exception of she was a romantic. She was in Mr. Deeds with Adam Sandler. <sighs> yes, exactly. That is the correct response. However, it made $126 million on a... $25 million budget. So Jeez. she's still... There's a lot of douchebags in the world. I know. But she's still marketable, you know? That's the thing. She made Simone. Oh, uh, God. Yes. Yes. With Al Pacino. You know what, though? Simone, though, gets a weird rep, though, because Simone is... That's uh, Andrew Nicole, who did Gattaca and God of War. And it is kind of a fail. But it's trying something. It's basically her, but they just aren't ready for... You know what I'm saying? Like... I saw what Andrew Nicole was trying to make, and it just didn't work. But it's... At the time, it reminded me of Virtuosity. It's basically how Virtuosity to Matrix, you know what I'm saying? Simone to her. Kind of that parallel of filmmakers starting to figure out an idea and eventually someone actually completing it and making it good. Yeah. So 2006, though, she comes back and starts working again with Richard Linklater in a movie I greatly enjoy. From her family friend when she was a kid, possibly still alive, as Thomas Pynchon, Mr. PKD, A Scanner Darkly, which, if you've never seen A Scanner Darkly, I think it's maybe the wildest Richard Linklater film. Without a doubt. Yes. I mean, Slacker's pretty dope, but this is to another level. This is, uh, what's the Richard Linklater, the dreams one? Waking Waking Life. Life. Yes. Which is also that same sort of. Interesting. Rotoscoping. Rotoscoping. But this is a new level because, like, Waking Life was 99. That was, like, that was, like, his first chance of doing it. Mm-hmm. So everybody just did, like, super, like, punk rock. Like, everybody did a different frame. It all looks right. different. This was fucking, like, the Blade Runner of rotoscoping. It really, I mean, and that you're, it reminded me the most of, I love Philip K. Dick. He's maybe my favorite author. 
And his books often are so different than the movies that they make of them. And this one felt like his books. This one felt like it was both super science fiction-y but also very real life. You live in this world now. Your weird neighbors come and talk to you. Robert Downey is so good in it. I mean, there's so many. Keanu, Harrelson. I mean, it's her. I mean, it's her. stacked. It's Everybody stacked. in this movie is good. It's so Winona Ryder is fantastic. Mm-hmm. She bounces back with a vengeance. I love A Scanner Darkly. If you haven't seen A Scanner Darkly, pull your head out of your ass. I'm saying this right now. Official stamp on that. You need to do it. You won't be sorry. I'm sorry. Also, I'm I saw sorry. this in theaters. Mm-hmm. At Piper's Alley. R.I.P. 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 Old Town in general as yeah. the art neighborhood of Chicago. That was the 70s art neighborhood. And then in the 90s, they work apart. And then in the mid-2000s, it was Logan Square. Now, I'm not entirely sure. I guess maybe the Beach House Studios in Humble Park is the art neighborhood of Chicago. Uh, I mean, yeah, but let's, let's have a little bit more hope than that. <laughs> I hope so. I do. Anyways, so I can't talk enough because also it's she didn't get nominated for any academy awards from scanner darkly because no pkd stuff really ever gets nominated for anything it's too subversive but she got nominated for like acting awards at sundance acting awards at con acting awards like at all the big festivals and it was this huge weird cultural success and it made money but she comes back together in 2007 with daniel waters to make Sex and Death 101, Daniel Waters made Heathers. He also made Airheads. Have you seen Sex and Death? No. Yeah. Never heard of it. Me either. But it seems like it was called her sexiest movie. I don't know what that means, but now I'm going to watch it, so we'll find out. No reason. Uh, She then is in David Wayne's The Ten. Have you seen that? I didn't like it. (laughs) David Wayne is funny in that way where sometimes David Wayne is... Wet Hot American Summer, like, nailing it. Yeah. And then sometimes it's like, what are you doing, man? What is it? Yeah. <laughs> He's got that Harold Ramis kind of thing where it's like, okay, I see what you're doing, but sometimes you make Groundhog Day. Yeah. And sometimes you make... Bedazzles. Yeah. Or what was it, BC? What was it, the... Oh, year, year one? one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm Jack Black. I'm a dinosaur. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. Caveman. What's funny is it's around the same time, so I imagine that that oh, was Christ. Hollywood gave that money because they're like, somebody else is making an ancient yeah. history comedy. We got to make our oasis. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, she makes a lot of stuff. Uh, I will give her this. She picks movies. Like, even when she's failing, she then is like, all right, so I'm not going to let my career fall all the way into the trash. I'm going to pick something. And she has this great taste of being able to know that, oh, I don't know, J.J. Abrams' Star Trek as Spock's mom is going to connect and is going to be a mega, like, like, this is maybe the first time she was ever, I know she's not a main character, but of a box office, the first Star Trek made, like, $900 million, and she was in it. So, did you like that uh, J.J. Abrams' Star Trek, the first one? I've never seen any Star Trek. Wow. Wow. Okay, everybody. That's it. That's Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, <laughs> I will say this. That first one is good. It's very good. Yes. Brian Tapp's giving the thumbs up. It's not part of it. There's like a kid driving a car listening to the Beastie Boys. I was like, I don't fucking care about this. Oh, it's dope. Oh, you're, you don't understand. Yes. He's also listening to old school music. Like, it's kind of cool. It's like 
I don't know. There's something about it I really dig, and I'm not that big a, you know me, I'm not that big a Star Trek fan, but I liked what they did with it. I thought it was cool. She starred alongside Robin Wright and Julianne Moore and Rebecca Miller's The Private Lives of Pippa Lee. Did you see that? More than likely, I'm not going to see anything you mentioned until we hit Stranger Things. Oh, that's not true. She plays Beth McIntyre, an aging ballet star in Darren Aronofsky's Black Swan. I don't remember her being in there. Oh, she's awesome in it. That's... Okay, Black Swan, also maybe Darren Aronofsky's most rewatchable movie, in my opinion. Really spooky, really cool. His tightest movie, I think. One where you get to watch ballet dancers go insane, and she is basically the older ballet dancer who is already insane. It's very cool. I highly recommend it. Yeah, you're right. She does a lot of stuff. She's in Stay Cool, which I've never seen, with Chevy Chase and Hilary Duff. Gross. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. That's she works with Tim Burton again when they made that uh, 3D version of Frankenweenie that no one cared about. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's basically like all over the place. To be fair, yeah, you're right. There's kind of a lull. There's a lot of what is going on with the run writer. And then in 2016, writer starred in the Netflix science fiction horror series from the Duffer Brothers, Stranger Things. You like Stranger Things, Nick? Uh, I do. I okay. love the first two seasons, and then I never finished the third one. Oh, third one's dope. I'm sorry. The end. I know it goes into the mall, Starcourt, but it gets wild style. Is Hop still alive? Spoiler alert. I don't know. Um, He is. They released the teaser. I know. He probably is. Destination Wedding. You were talking about this. I didn't watch it, though. <laughs> was I was real excited. Their third movie together. I know. They, uh, fun fact. Te- got married in Romania. Yes, yes, technically on the set of Dracula, a real Romanian Orthodox priest actually did the rites. So technically, under Romanian God, her and Keanu Reeves are married to each other, which is kind of adorable. I like it a lot, actually. Yeah, if you're, if you're going to be married to somebody, why not be married to Keanu? I mean, I'd do it. Fuck it. But yeah, that's that takes us up to present. She's still running around. She's still making stuff. There's We didn't really get into her personal life. She was married to Johnny Depp for a little while. He had a tattoo that said Winona forever. And then... Womp, womp. Womp, womp. And then turned it into Wino forever, which I sort of... I, I like that better, actually. I, I kind of appreciate it. It's like, I know how to fix this. Yeah. But yeah, so she's one of America's great actors, in my opinion. I'm glad that she... I get this feeling about Winona Ryder, like, that she'll never really go down. You know what I'm saying at this point? Like, she'll never be donezo. I don't know. feel like Winona Ryder is, like, two years away from, like, a like a Travolta in a Tarantino movie comeback. Yeah. She's, she's, I would say Stranger Things is a little bit that, though. Like, Joyce Byers is kind of, to a lot of people, to a lot of kids, a big cultural touchstone. She's the mom on Stranger Things. I know, but she's referred to as the mom. But she's like the badass mom who figures out the code to get the kid back with the Christmas lights. You know, I mean, she's Joyce Byers. She's not just like the 80s movies, the mom. No, Joyce Byers is maybe the protagonist, actually, as you begin to really watch the show all the way through. Well, she needs to be in a movie that's as good as that. That's what I'm saying. That's fair. But now we're in a weird universe where Stranger Things shows are kind of 60 hour movies and we're in this weird thing where she's in a movie novel called stranger things. I don't know. It's an, I don't, it's like the wire or something. It's, I know the stranger things is not, it's nowhere near as good as the wire, but in terms of cultural presence, 
it is there. You know what I'm saying? Stranger Things changed the game of bringing a couple of generations together to be like, we like all this weird stuff. We like horror 80s mayhem nonsense and she's the kind of linchpin of the whole thing. She really is. All right, so do we have anything for the Blockbuster Dumpster? I don't know. Maybe just a little side. Mr. Deeds. Yeah. <laughs> Deal. Mr. Deeds Fuck goes that to movie. Fuck that movie. It, you know me. I am the Adam Sandler supporter and defender. And I, know. I, and I went and saw it and did not laugh the entire time. I sat and watched it. What is this in the water fountain? Hawaiian punch. This had none of... I know his movies are stupid, but I laugh a lot of times during The Water Boy, okay? There is funny shit in The Water Boy. Babushi, Devo. Devo, catch that gorilla that escaped from the zoo and punch you in the eye. No, mama. The search continues. I'm saying there's good shit in this movie, okay? In Mr. Deeds, I don't remember what the hell's going on. I just remember that it sucked... And I felt bad for her. I felt bad for John Turturro. John Turturro. <laughs> I felt bad for all these great actors who are in it. Because I was like, this is unfunny. This is an unfunny movie. That's supposed to be funny. And I'm sitting here in a movie theater full of people not laughing, which somehow still made money, which made me very worried about America. And here we are. What do you say, Nick? I think it's time for... It's time for the Blockbuster Film School Wall! <laughs> All right, it's time for our blockbuster wall. All right, so what's your number four? Number four is Beetlejuice. Ooh, that, that's interesting. It's interesting. Favorite moment in Beetlejuice? Favorite moment in Beetlejuice has nothing to do with the Winona Ryder, sadly. It's okay. My favorite moment in Beetlejuice is, I didn't get this joke when I was younger. I got it when I was older. Mm. When I was around more of my family. Uh-oh. Uh, so... The Maitlands get back to their house, and it's been months, and it's completely remodeled. And Juno, their caseworker, is like, what's wrong with this place? Seems nice. It's quiet. You thank God he didn't die in Italy. It's fair. Yeah. I remember watching it when I was, like, 17. I was like, oh, my God, that's great. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I think my favorite Winona Ryder moment in that movie, though, is when she goes up the stairs in the – sort of Tim Burton doing the Alfred Hitchcock thing and she has the key and she puts the key through and it pops through and she sees the light and the light comes through and you see her big, really spookily beautiful eye and it has the green light on it. It's just it's this, it sucks you into that movie. It just, of the Winona Ryder stuff. My number four, I'm going to say Little Women. I'm going to say Ooh, Little nice. Women. I really adore that movie. I still would like to see the new one, but it's still my favorite version of Little Women. And... They weren't little girls anymore. They were little women. <laughs> I'm sorry. Also, I'm doing just Mo Sislak from The Simpsons when he reads to No, that movie is fabulous. I adore it. And I'm going to put it as my number four. What's your number three, Nick? Number three is Mermaids. Mm. Up there of her really dope sort of dramedies. She's amazing in it. Everyone's amazing. You got three strong female leads and Bob Hoskins. Yes. And then everybody's doing like their own weird thing. Everyone's doing the best they got. And it's fantastic. Yes. Yes. And Cher is awesome in it. She is awesome in it. Bob Hoskins may be the most underrated actor maybe in the history of Hollywood in some ways. Because the shit Bob Hoskins was able to pull off, we know who he is, but 
I think there's a lot of people who don't know who Bob Hoskins is and don't know just how amazing an actor he is or was, RIP. So I agree with you. I'm going to say for my number three is Edward Skizzerhands, which she falls in love with a gardener. And Vincent Price is his dad. <laughs> Need I say more? What's your number two, Nick? <laughs> What do you, if you if you got takes on Edward Scissorhands, I'm hoping to it. It's going to pop back up. I got takes later. My number two is a Scanner Darkly. Hells yeah. Hell. Hells yeah. Spoiler alert, I'm going to mention it in a minute. <laughs> yeah. You can't take your eyes off that movie. Everyone in there yeah. is so fucking good. And yes. Winona Ryder with that mm. twist ending. Yes. So just fucking fucks with you. Oh, man. Always. But that's what PKD always did. His twist endings are good. If you want to rip somebody off for twist endings, read yourself some Philip K. Dick stuff. His twist endings are always beyond twists. The replicant would save Deckard instead of killing him. Even in the book, whether Deckard is a replicant or not, just to prove a point. To prove a point that I am better than you. I wouldn't let you fall off this building. I wouldn't let that happen. See? I am more human than human. Anyway, so my number two is a scanner truck. <laughs> Which, yes, I adore it. I think it's great. It's the best. I love it. And I can watch it anytime, anywhere. You turn on Scanner Darkly. I'm watching it. It's going down. Uh, what's your number one, Nick? Edward Scissorhands. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You didn't get super psyched about what we were talking about. That's interesting. I, I mean, you, but that's, I like that you love it. I love it. She's so angelic in it. Spookily, she said that she is naturally blonde, which is kind of interesting. Her hair naturally now is brown, but Mm -hmm. she was born, she was very blonde. Mm -hmm. Same. I'm that way, too. Yes. I had the weird mega blonde hair when I was a little kid, and now. Yeah. Me, too, actually. Yeah, a lot of it. Yeah, that's weird. And my number one, though, I'm going with it. I've seen The Exorcist. 167 million times. It keeps getting funnier. Every time I see it, it is Beetlejuice. We've said it twice. Don't say it again. He appears. It blew my mind as a kid. It changed my brain on what a movie could be. It is a horror, a comedy, a romance, a family story. It is all the pieces all together. It is Beetlejuice. I think bizarrely, it is weird when you are Tim Burton. I know that it's weird when you make like five masterpieces in a row (laughs) and then... That's it. <laughs> it's like it's harsh. It's harsh. How is that possible? How can you make Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Ed Wood, like and Batman just, Returns, Batman Returns, and you just make these, and you're just like, I am a good filmmaker, and then you're just like, oh, green screens everywhere. Yeah, right. Oh, Mars Guess next. what you're wearing uh, in this scene? A green screen. What happened? I don't know why he sounds like Fred Schneider to me. I like that idea. Though. I like. My version of George Lucas and your version of yeah. Tim Burton is, oh, <laughs> that's going to be Planet of the Apes now with Mocky Mock. It wasn't a rock. <laughs> it was a CGI rock. <laughs> I don't need you in this scene. What are you doing? Oh, Johnny Depp's here. You don't Hide like, the Xanax. You don't like crack cocaine and AIDS destroyed an entire generation of artists in America. Green screen and computer, the early era of computer-generated graphics destroyed an entire generation of filmmakers. It made them lazy and made them doofy and not know what the fuck they were doing anymore. They didn't have to try. 
They didn't have to team up with awesome practical effects makers anymore. They just were like, I'll make my movie and I'll make it with these nerds with their green screen computer stuff. And it's like, uh, no, that's not good. That sucks. And it ruined a lot of fucking people. And the only ones who came out of them were the ones like Scorsese and shit who were like, I'm not doing that. Fuck that noise. Or the ones who were savvy enough like Fincher to be like, yeah, it's cool to use a little bit like for some stuff, but like you don't make your whole fucking movie out of this. Anyways. All right. So <laughs> that's my hot take at the end there. Right. I love Winona Ryder. Long may she live. She is a blockbuster film school champion. I think that's it for me, Nick. You got any other last takes on uh, Winona? She's great. I think she's going to be in any of my Tim Burton movies. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, hey, if you stuck around this long, then that means you probably like us. So please hit us up. We have a Patreon now. Please, even if you don't have any money, you don't have to. The show will always be free. So like and subscribe, though. You can do that. Write a little review. That's awesome. Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Premium, wherever you find us, we're there. And we love you, and we're currently in the quarantine. Maybe you're listening to this decades from now, and everything is going great, and we live in a utopia full of jetpacks and jet skis, and it's awesome. But remember that we love you during these dark times, and we'll be here. Do drugs. Have a good time. Do you. Alex doesn't speak for me on the we love you part. (laughs) We will see you next week on Blockbuster Film School.